today's episode of Power of the Towel for the next Misconduct Network. The Canucks free agent frenzy kicked off. It wasn't much of a frenzy because the Canucks pretty much lost everyone due to their salary cap constraints. We break that all down. We have Irfan Gaffar as our guest this week to help us break it all down, and it should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel for the Next Misconduct Network. I'm your host, Nick Bonney. Before you listen any further, subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network. You get this show. You get Sippin' on a 40 you get Silk and Filthy, Puck Talk and Bullshit, and of course, The Quickie. And speaking of Sippin' on 40, we ha- it's a bit of a different episode because we have the co- the host of Sippin' on a 40 with us in studio, Kyle Bowen. Kyle, how are you doing? What's up? What's up? Hey, Vancouver! This is something else, man. This is something else. Thanks for having me on. And I needed this, you know, for, for, for many reasons. A lot doing with, uh, you know, therapy, therapeutic reasons. I need this. I need this. A lot of things going on in my mind it is foggy when it comes to Everything Vancouver Canucks, because a lot of things have happened. That being said, I'm still kind of calm. I'm still kind of calm. Change is, is nice, and change to a, a horrible defense core was inevitable, wasn't it? Wasn't it was It, it was inevitable, inevitable, sorry, but we have to see what the improvement is going to be or what the, the road to improvement is going to be, because when you lose Chris Tanev and Troy Stetcher, which we'll get into in a bit, you know, that's two of your top three right shot, right side defenseman that they have, at, at the time of recording, I'll, I'll, we'll say that, at the time of recording, they have not replaced. They have not replaced them yet, but I think the big departure is obviously Jacob Markstrom going to Calgary. I mean, you're going to hear this in the interview with Irfan Gaffar, which is going to air right after this. I would have said a month ago that he was signing with the Canucks 100%, 110%. Jim Benning was going to try and trade, clear cast, do whatever he has to do to re-sign Jacob Markstrom, right? He was the by far the team's MVP this year. Vezina level goaltending this year. He finished fourth in Vezina voting. He had a really good year. But I think it was about two weeks ago when the reports started coming out, and it was that's when it started to creep into my mind. Like we should be prepared for the Thatcher Demko era. Yeah. In in Vancouver. And the Braden Holby. And the Braden Holby era, because that's what Braden Holby's coming in to do. He's coming in to split the starts, presumably with Thatcher Demko. And there's gonna be a comp- split. There's, there's gonna, gonna be a split. And it's gonna be competition next season. And we cannot escape goalie controversies because now and you know, you know, we all know as soon as Thatcher Demko has a bad game, oh, put in the Holpe crowd. As soon as Brayden Holpe comes in, comes in, why do we sign this guy? We should have rode with Demko. Yeah. You know that's happening, right? It's going to happen, but uh, they kind of had to replace Markstrom to some capacity. Now, uh, again, Markstrom is is a huge a huge piece to lose. I talked about this on my episode of Sipping on a 40. They lost one of the best players in the NHL, and I, and I actually mean that. If like all of the, the NHL. If, if you're one of the best goalies in the league, and that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. If he didn't get hurt, he's a, a, he's a Vesna finalist. He really is. If he doesn't get hurt, he's one of the best players in the league. He's been that for two years. They lost that, and yeah, they replaced him somewhat with Holpe, but th- that's a hole. That's a hole. There's a really good chance they will not get that caliber of goaltending next season they can still possibly i mean demko's there and we saw what demko did in three games hey how 
How did this team alter its course through th- three games? Three games. They didn't. They didn't even win the third one. You know what I'm saying? And and, and everything changed. I don't want to give away too much of the Irfan Gafari interview, but it sounds like this split between the Canucks and Jacob Markstrom goes back over a year. That's what. That's what. That's what. Uh, that's what uh, Irf said. But what? That's the. You, you know. I don't, I don't want to spoil okay. it anymore. Okay. Because you got people got to listen to the interview. But I don't think it was obviously over three games. Like if if the Canucks had their way, they would have re-signed Jacob Markstrom, okay. right? Is is it? Is it because of, of the talent that Demko showed in those three games? I don't or, think it is. Or is it because Markstrom was getting hurt? Real talk. I think Markstrom it, was getting hurt. I think it comes down to the fact that the Canucks have a lot of bad contracts on the cap cool. that they can't get rid of. Cool. And I under like you see, I see people online getting mad. It's like, oh, this guy went for a fourth round pick. Like, why can't we do that? Sure, but people want to want the gotta want these players, right? It goes to show how little value a guy like Brandon Sutter has. When no one wants to give up a fifth everyone round knows pick, that, but everyone knows that. But people online everyone are still that. getting up. People online are still getting upset that Brand Sutter isn't being dumped. Like people need to want this guy, man. We and if need- they, if the Canucks couldn't realize that, why not buy out a guy like Brand Sutter? If you buy out a guy like Brand Sutter and you do not qualify a guy like Jake Vertanen, you have room to kind of replace these guys on the market. But for some reason, they want to keep roll with Brand Sutter, and maybe it's a maybe it's a line from ownership that we don't want to buy out players. I believe that. I believe that. I think. Um- but what if it's not? Is what I'm saying. No, no, you got to pick one. You got, you got to pick what you believe in. You can you can only pick one of those things. And I do believe that Aquilini, and not to say he's short on money, but the whole league is somewhat suffering. And this team is just loaded with bad contracts. They're also loaded with people that they're literally paying for doing nothing for this organization. Luangos, right? The Luangos. Who else have they bought out? You know, firing uh, Ryan Spooner. They're probably still paying Tortorella to some capacity. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The, the, the owners on this team are already paying millions, millions to those who are doing nothing for this organization. We're not paying anything for longer. The cap recapture yeah, is 100%, against— 100%, 100%. It's just a penalty. It's just a penalty. Which is bullshit. It is bullshit. It is bullshit. And, and on top of you know things like that, again, th- those, those contracts that, that have nothing to do with this team, they actually have contracts that do have— Things to do with the team, like the the Ericsons and the Sutters and the Beagles, that the Aquilines are already paying millions for. It just it's just a bizarre bizarre scenario for them. So I kind of get it. Okay, maybe they didn't want to shell out millions, you know, for Brandon Sutter bio for a Sven Berchi bio. Real talk. There's a lot of dead cap space on this team. But uh, going into this off season, I was already expecting this, and I was already you know used to the fact that things like this could could happen. And I've kind of found a a happiness with the hope, yes, the hope that these young players, these even younger players that are, that are going to be coming into the lineup will, you know, have somewhat of an ease getting into things because of who the Canucks have on the roster and the makeup of their team. The, the Millers, the Patterson, the Hughes, the, the, the locker room. Uh, there's something about the culture that, that I think, you know, could help this team get past these losses. And, and real talk? That's the only source of happiness I have because they lost everyone. They lost yeah. everyone, and they have what seven and a half million dollars. They're not getting anyone. No, they have to. Well, they, but the thing is, like, I, they have to at least try. They have to at least try and get someone out in the open market because you cannot roll into next season with your top right shot defense and right pairing defenseman, right side. Tyler Myers. Be Tyler Myers. That just cannot happen. But like, you, there's no way you can allow it. He's there's paid, no way you can allow it. He's paid like someone who should. Mm-hmm. Be in that top four role, you know. I know it's it's it's. Well, now it's going to be a trial by fire next season, man. Like he he's going to get put put with Hughes, and let's see let's see what happens, man. And I think the optimistic outlook is the Canucks are going to take a step back this year, 
to potentially take two steps forward in the future, right? Oh, you don't man. you don't re-sign some of these guys like in a vacuum. You look at the you look at that Markstrom deal, six by six million, full no move from Calgary, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to sign that, but go ahead and sign that with Calgary. That's that, that that'd be risk, the, but that's a, but that's a, that's a, that is the smart, long term forward looking move. It is, it is, it is forward looking. But it's also a risk because Calgary got him now. Because Calgary now has really good goaltending. That's another team in your conference. That, yeah, again, the, he's, he went to a direct division rival, yeah, a team bro. presumably next year. Like, think about this. There's a very real possibility, I think, that there is an all Canadian division bubble. Ooh. Canucks are playing Markstrom what eight times next oh. year, eight ten times. Oh, and he's playing all eight of those games. You yeah, Markstrom. Yeah. And he's gonna have the book and all of them and how where <laughs> on how they shoot and everything. It's wild and like look, guys not signing a guy like Chris Tanev to a four year makes sense. For it long term it makes sense because this was the first year Chris Tanev was healthy. This was the first year Chris Tanev played all the regular season games, all sixty nine of them nice. But do do we really respect do we really expect Chris Tanev to play eighty two game if there's an eighty two game season, do we expect him to play a full 82? I don't think so. I don't think that's possible for a guy like Chris Tanev, the way he plays. Honestly, the... But but because it's a long-term, it's a long-term play to not re-sign a guy like Chris Tanev to a four-year. And from what I've heard online, he's getting a modified no-trade clause as well, no-move clause as well. Gotta get it. So he's there, and he got a good deal. But when you have some of these bad contracts on the books, like, there was no opportunity to try and get a better deal from another defenseman out there. They're they're kind of hooped right now with the team they got, and they better hope a guy like Ole Olevi can step up finally. Yeah, they got to hope. That's all we have hope. And, and I think, but that, it's tough to see that if the Canucks had you know not signed some of these bad contracts when they had tons of cap room, they could have taken advantage get over of, of a really good buyer's market. And it's hard to think, and I know, and I know people are going to say that there's no way you could have seen COVID nineteen coming and a flat cap is going to just they, that is a fact. But at the same time. There was probably still going to be. There's always those kind of smart bargain deals in free agency that you can get, and there's going to be, and that's like all of them now. Like there's usually a few every free agency. There's usually a few that you can get. That's literally all the free agents this year, besides a guy like Petrangelo, Krug, and Hall, who are all going to get paid no matter what. Th- those deals are out there for everyone. Like a guy like Tyler DeFoley, still not signed at the time of recording. Yeah, he's he, he may actually sign with the Canucks now. I mean, I think there's a legit that? chance. I think there's a legit yeah, chance. I do too. It, but we've seen, you know, nothing happen so far. So <laughs> who knows? They could lose him too, and it, it is what it is. I, it really is. This team was destined to be in Capel. Everyone's been talking about it for months, for months, for months. And uh, we're going to have to rest on the fact that, again, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pedersen, and company are just going to be able to make things easier. It's the only thing that this team can rest on because, once again— they lost the Vesna caliber goaltending. There's no bank that they're going to get that from De- Demko or Holpe next year. Yeah. They'll be good in that, but this team needed great goaltending. Yeah, I'm going to say half faith in Ian Clark when it comes oh, to yeah, true, true, Brayden Holpe. Like, I think true, true. I'm sure Ian Clark wanted to re-sign Jacob Markstrom. True, true. Obviously, he's not the guy writing okay. the checks, but but if there's a guy out there I can I believe can fix Brayden Holpe, it's Ian Clark. Bondi, this team was so bad defensively. Do you think... You know, you'll wake up tomorrow morning. You know, you just go for a fucking walk. Go for a damn walk for an hour. Breathe in and breathe out. And just realize that there are, there are changes happening to one of the worst defensive yes. cores Change. in the league. So, I, okay, I have no, yeah. okay so, something may happen here. We may actually get better at defense somehow, some way. I mean, it, the, the standard was not really set. I do think there's a chance that a uh, Ulevi 
a, a Rafferty, uh, all these guys. There, there's a chance that one out of those four, Chatfield, Rapone, could actually pan out. And again, I hope so. I hope again, so. They're entering a dressing room, dressing room where there's elite, elite. But talent, the thing is, talent. you're not. Maybe easier. But when you, it when you, easier. when you're go, when you're banking on guys you're banking like on it. you're banking on guys like Yulevi, Chatfield, Rathbone, Rafferty, you're not leaving it the chance. Like you, those guys have to, you know, play up to their okay. ceiling. What do you mean? Have like what's the expectations next year? There, when you see a guy like Quinn Hughes coming to your lineup and now he's entering year two, I mean the the, the window is not. They got to win next year. They got to win next year. I, I know. Sorry about that. I know that Kyle's so heated he's knocking over water exactly. bottles. I just I'm just at peace knowing again. I'm at peace knowing, baby, that a Stanley Cup is probably coming to Vancouver within the next ten years. I know it sounds crazy. I know I sound crazy, but this is. Um, I would have loved to see. Improve. This is amazing. This is I want to see. The you know, they don't have to be a Stanley Cup contender next year. They don't. They but don't. but but I want to see gradual improvement. And when I see the Canucks lose Stetcher, Tanev, and at the time of recording, and Markstrom, <laughs> and Markstrom, at the time of recording, they have not replaced them with anyone. That gives me concern because, of course, the blue line was the big weak point. But they haven't gone out and replaced any of these guys. It'd be totally different if, you know, they let guys like Tanev and Stetcher walk. But we saw the the reinforcements, the replacements come in, but we haven't seen that yet. Uh, and they don't, don't have they don't really have that much cap space. Like they have what seven million? You can sign maybe one defenseman with that. And then <laughs> of course, and then of course next year, you got to worry about. That's all you can do because you have to worry about Hughes and Pedersen getting making, those contracts. Making bank. I think you're gonna see after those guys get signed, the Canucks get a, a lot more aggressive with moving guys because once these guys are locked into their price, you can work around the salary cap a lot, lot more. And sorry. We got to talk about this before we get to the. Yeah, you don't gotta say sorry. It's your show, man. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. We're talking <laughs> about this now. OEL Oliver Ekman Larson not traded to the Vancouver Canucks. Cool. Cool. Smart move. Not smart move. Well, I. Th- sorry. Sorry to cut you off there, but the day before it was announced that it wasn't going to happen. Again, I saw the writing on the wall that this team was going to lose a lot of their players, and then I started thinking on the fact that okay, you you trade whatever for OEL, it will uh, it will bring in another piece that. You know, it is is top tier talent to some capacity. You know, this team would be more top heavy. Now that recipe, you know, may not lead to success or growth, but it's an advantage. You know what I'm saying? They'd have OEL in a playoff series and Quinn Hughes playing half the games. That that's hard for for other teams. You know what I'm saying? So that was an an advantage that you know I was hoping that they would get. At the end of the day, it didn't happen, and it's all good. Jim Benning is always doing things around this time, and now he's being. You know, bit in the ass for it right now. Can't do much. He's probably so bored. Jim Benning, uh, do you feel bad for him? Because this is his time. You know what I'm saying, right? He yeah, he so likes to fun. he likes to show off. He likes oh, to stun on free dude, HC this day. This guy is rocking a Ric Flair robe every time this season rolls around. He, he's here making calls, writing checks, blank checks. He's doing what he can for the city. And now it's, again, bit him in the ass. He's not doing much. But, hey, it's kind of refreshing, too. It's kind of refreshing, too. I think Jim Benning was smart not to give up one of the guys like like oh, I like Hoglander, Pacols, and Demko. I think now we see why he was so hesitant to give up on Th- Th- give up Thatcher Demko because I think he saw the writing on the wall that Jacob Markstrom's probably not going to resign here. I need this guy to be the goalie of the future, the next stud goalie for the Vancouver Canucks. That's true. That's true. Now, before you get to your Earth show, thanks for having me on. I'm taking so much of your time. I want you to talk to me about this. Okay, how is it? How is it reasonable to say that? This team had to keep Vertanen, but they didn't have to keep Stetcher. Because they're paying Vertanen at a minimum $3 million. I yeah. mean, they lost Stetcher probably because of that. And and also those bad contracts. You could even say Jordy Ben cost this team Troy Stetcher. Oh, yeah. Real talk, real talk. I just don't see 
much sense in that. And if you're Troy Stature, who's super, super competitive, ultra competitive, this guy was definitely ticked off. Ticked off. And to see him only get 1.7, I mean, is that how much cap hell this team is in, I guess? Or is that Travis Green just saying, yo, just give me give me newer options. Like, we can afford to let these guys go. Uh, it's it's just bizarre times. Jake Furtanen really getting paid $3 million minimum. It's, it's yeah. weird. And I, they did the right play by not qualifying Troy Stetcher because he would have gotten more in arbitration than he just got from the Detroit Red Wings. But at the same time, they forgot the second part, which is re-sign him when he becomes a free agent, right? That's the part they missed. Like, it was smart to not qualify Troy Stetcher because he would have got more. But you, if 1.7 for two years, sorry. It's just, it's, just, it's just so frustrating, man. Like, Troy Stetcher, Troy Stetcher, and let's, and we mentioned, I mentioned this in the interview. Like, Troy Stetcher on a really good team, on a Stanley Cup contender, like a Tampa Bay, Vegas, is, he's a third-pairing guy. He's a third-pairing guy. But the Canucks don't have that many options. They're not a contender. They could have used a guy like Troy Stetcher. For Troy, Troy, I was going to say Stretcher. <laughs> Tony Stretcher. Tony Stretcher. For Troy Stetcher's case, was going to Detroit a smart move? I mean, two years after. They want, obviously he wanted him. He gets a ton there. of he playing be, time. He might be minus 60 in those two years, yeah. bro. He, he does might, a, he a might very real possibility. He money after this contract, you know, if he doesn't step up. But I have faith. I, I think Troy Stetcher, a fucking hardworking player. Since he broke in, I, this guy never took a shift off. Is that equating to success every time he's on the ice? I, I don't think so. He's... He's a workhorse. He he tries hard. He's a good guy in the dressing room. And now he has a chance to do more. Maybe he is more than that 5'6 defenseman. Hey, Troy Stetcher, shout out to you, man. Thanks to, thanks to everyone who did a lot of things for this city. Markstrom, being a goaltender on a bad team was important. Pedersen guys, they needed that last year, the year before this season. They needed to be in games and not get their ass kicked. That was because of Jacob Markstrom. He, he, he stood on his head. Chris Tanev. I said this. I said this last night. Didn't have the stats in front of me, but I'm pretty sure this dude blocked over 18,000 shots. Real talk. He risked his life for this city. He risked. He risked seeing his kids, his wife, for this, for this team. Unbelievable. And and again, Louis Domingue, right? Calgary, yeah. man. Calgary. What's going they're on? Just trolling, they're just trolling. trolling Canucks fans at this they point. They want the smoke. They want the smoke. Nick Bondi. Thanks for thanks for letting me vent there. Okay. Not what a problem. Time. Not a problem. Thank you to Kyle Bowen. Sip it on a 40 host for hopping on the podcast. A bit different for everyone, but you know what? This is a bit different episode in general. And we mentioned it off the top. Hockey insider Irfan Gafar joins us right after this. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. So we now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast for the Next Misconduct Network. Uh, he is an hockey insider. He works for the fourth period as well. It is Irfan Gafar. Irf, how are you doing today, my man? Not bad. What's going on? I'm doing, well, I guess we can get into how I'm feeling as a Canucks fan later, but I want to first get into your Twitter bio, actually, because I consider yourself a big J journalist. You're an insider. You get you get the scoops, and you've done very well, I think, reporting on the Vancouver Canucks uh, free agency trade landscape. But your bio bio just says, living the dream which I really like. So I want to know, even with everything that's gone on in 2020, are you still living the dream? I mean, uh, we try to, right? You try and live every day like it's, you try to make the most of it for the most part, especially when times are so uncertain right now and, and there's a whole, a whole lot of, you don't know what's going on in the world. And I think for us, um, a lot of people in the sports industry, a lot of it's an escape. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing for, 
for many people is people go to sports to escape whatever reality they're in. And if we can provide some entertainment for it, because realistically sports is an entertainment business, um, then it's, then it's kind of fun. Yeah. And what I like about the bio living the dream is, you know, I think a lot of people in sports media, I'm not going to name names, but there's a lot of big J journalists who sometimes like to complain like, Oh, I, you know, I have like two connecting flights to here or there, or I missed a flight or whatever, you know, the big J journalist problems. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who would love to be in that position to be travel around getting paid covering sports. And I think it's indicative of a lot of people in life where, you know, you tend to block out the good things that just focus on the negative. But I like living the dream because you, re- you recognize in the position you're in, you're living the dream for a lot of people out there. Well, I think that that's one of the things that someone told me when I first started my career, they go, it, it really is a dream gig. And it, it, sometimes it takes a while for, for, for people to get it. And I think that for the most part, a lot of people, um, don't take it for granted, but I think it's definitely, it's definitely a lot of fun. Um, we definitely are, like I say, living the dream. I mean, I get to go to a lot of cool things. I've seen and experienced a lot of very, very cool, unique things throughout my career. But um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely unique for sure. Um, if I'm able to share a story or, or, or an experience that I've had and, and maybe make someone's day or, or make someone laugh through it, I, I think that that's something that, that I would very much so enjoy doing. But yeah, so basically, yeah, it definitely <laughs> is living the dream. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to get into a bit of your career later, but we got to get to the pressing issues at hand with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the big new, well, we'll start with Jacob Markstrom. And I think if you had asked me a month, month and a half ago, I would have said, there's no way Jacob Markstrom's not going to be re-signed with the Vancouver Canucks, right? I think management, Jim Benning, Travis Green, all recognize what they had in Travis Green, a Vezina level goaltender for the past year and a half. You finished fourth in Vezina voting this year, right? Like he had a really terrific year. He's the main reason the Canucks were in a position to get to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs against the Vegas Golden Knights. And then I think it was about two weeks ago when the reports start coming that, you know, Jim Benning, the Vancouver Canucks, and Jacob Markstrom's camp weren't that close with the deal. They're still working on it. And at that point, it was about two weeks ago where I thought there's a very real possibility that Jacob Markstrom could test the open market and the Canucks could lose him for nothing. And there's a lot I want to pa- uh, get into with Jacob Markstrom leaving Vancouver Canucks, but actually my first question is like, at what point was it clear that it wasn't going to work out between the Vancouver Canucks and Jacob Markstrom? When did that disconnect start happening? I think for me, it's been probably the last 15 months, to be honest. I think there's been a lot of reports out there that were saying that, you know, a very low offer was made for Jacob Markstrom early on in the season. It was something that his camp didn't like. And then before the return to play, they kind of came back at each other and wanted to and wanted to talk about you know a contract again and they weren't on the same planet and i think once that happened we kind of got the inkling that you know jacob markstrom may be available for other teams and i think once other teams realized that that was a distinct possibility you know the the offers started to be drawn up on their end as to what 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 they could offer them and um for the Canucks, I definitely do know the their last days before free agency, and even this the last week before free agency, there was an offer um, that did go to Jacob Marshall that the, they, that camp didn't like. Now, whether it was the protection, the money, or the term that was on it that they didn't like, there was something about it that just didn't work. And I mean, for Jacob Markstrom, he's 30 years old. He's got $36 million. He's basically set for the rest of his life now. I mean, and he's going to a team that is going to try and be competitive. Um, obviously, they just added Christopher Tanev as well. Uh, but I think that that's kind of when the disconnect started. It's been about, you know, 12 to 15 months for sure, I'd say the least. So you're saying 12 to 15 months, there's been that disconnect. Yeah, was there any, so. was there any uh, 
maybe discussion about trading Jacob Markstrom at the deadline. Like if, if I'm the Vancouver Canucks and I know I'm not going to re-sign this guy, like I'm exploring the possibility of trading him at the trademark. And I understand the backlash would have been, well, this, this team's in a playoff push at the time. I mean, late February seems like 20 years ago at this point with anything that's happened. But at the time they were battling for a playoff spot. And I understand the optics that would that would make it look like that the Canucks are giving up on the season. But was there any discussion about trading him? If like if if you're if you're what you're saying is the Canucks knew they weren't going to sign up, was there any trade possibilities out there for him? I don't think the Canucks knew that they weren't going to sign him. I think that they're, they're they knew that there might have been a possibility that he goes to the open market. And I okay. think that that's two different things, right? Because if he goes to the open market, you still have a chance, no matter what. There's always that chance to to sign a player, right? So. I think that, you know, when they got to the trade deadline, they were in a position where, you know, they were fighting for a playoff spot. And for the last two years, I think a lot of people will agree with me. Markstrom has been their best player. Yeah, with absolutely. the exception of, you know, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller and what they've done. But you don't get to the playoffs and you don't get to game seven with against the Vegas Golden Knights without Jacob Markstrom taking you there. Mm-hmm. I understand Thatcher Demko played a hell of a rest of those few games in the playoffs, but you're not there without Jacob Markstrom. And, you know, he knows his value. And I think that that was one of the things that, you know, led to the negotiations as to what was going to happen. And, you know, he doesn't want to be left unprotected. You know, he wants to be, he wants to go somewhere. And he even said it in their Calgary Flames media press conference that he wanted to go somewhere where he felt wanted. And that was the biggest thing. And and the Flames were the team that was, that was in from the very beginning. So what was the biggest sticking point in negotiations? Do you feel between the Canucks and Jacob Markstrom? Was it the term? Was it the AV? Was it like the no move protection, no moving clause that would have had to, force the Canucks to protect him in the expansion draft from Seattle? I think there was a little bit of that. And I think it was, and, and, and I think it was money. Right. And I think that, you know, Jacob Markstrom wasn't going to leave $10 million on the table, you know, to, to, to go play for a competitive team where he definitely does have a spot to make the playoffs. So I think that, you know, when push came to shove and, and things kind of got down to the nitty gritty, um, we we all kind of got this inkling that on Wednesday night or maybe sometime early Thursday morning that Jacob Marshall was going to go to free agency and the Flames were going to be a suitor, the Oilers were going to be a suitor, the Detroit Red Wings wanted him as well. Um, so there were a lot of teams that were vying for his services. But in the end, um, for him, he even admitted that, you know, there there were other deals on the table, but he went with the one that he A, got the most money, B, got the most protection, and C, is actually a good place to go try and win. Yeah, and from the Canucks perspective, what do you think their best offer was to Markstrom? Was it, was it like a four-year deal? Like what was, what do you think the final offer was to Markstrom? I'm not sure to be completely honest. I know that there was talk about there, there, there was a four-year deal and then there was a five-year deal in place, but I'm not too sure on the specifics there, but I, I do know, I mean, he didn't sign it. So it definitely yeah. wasn't something that, uh, that, that, that he was interested in for sure. So let's get to Jacob Markstrom's replacement. Brayden Holpe signed a two-year deal with the Vancouver Canucks. Of course, that's the minimum you have to sign in order to be protected for the expansion draft. It looks like, I think from all things considered, they're going to expose him in the expansion draft. That's why he signs a two-year deal. There's no no move. So he is going to be, for the most part, I think, uh, exposed in the expansion draft. Was he always the choice for the Vancouver Canucks? Um, what After the Jacob Markstrom uh, deal with Calgary and at what point did they realize the Canucks that okay Jacob Markstrom's gone we better find some guy to split time with Demko yeah I don't I don't know if Mark I don't know if Holpe's Markstrom's replacement more so I, I, yeah he like he, Demko's backup they need they like, need a split the starts right or yeah, go like a 50 1a 1b scenario and all that kind of stuff yeah no absolutely but I think that it, for Holpe I think that there was only two teams on his list 
it was the Calgary Flames or it was the Vancouver Canucks. And I think that when, you know, he found out that Vancouver was going to go in the direction that it did and Markstrom was going to go to Calgary, then, you know, it, it was a no-brainer for him. And, you know, it's a good deal for Holpe and it's a good deal for the Canucks. And, you know, the first thing that he said after his press conference was, what's Thatcher Demko's phone number? So that just shows that he wants to, you know, have that camaraderie, um, have that respect and kind of learn from each other and, and build that relationship before the se- before training camp even starts. Yeah, so from Holpe's perspective, what was, do you think, the deciding factor for Vancouver? Was it the chance to you know, get, get back into uh, maybe rebuild his value after we all know, we all know the numbers from Washington the past couple of years haven't been the best. Was that the main reason, you know, Vancouver was an appealing option that he would have a chance to get starts and compete for a starters job with Demko? Yeah. And I think it was quality of life here. I think it's a good young team. I think a lot of people gravitated towards the Vancouver Canucks during the return to play. Uh, with the brand of hockey that they were playing with guys like Elias Pettersson, guys like Quinn Hughes are still on their entry-level contracts um, with the emergence of a guy like JT Miller in the season that he had with Bo Horvat, what, what he was able to do um, in the postseason. So I think that that definitely um, had a lot into it, but I don't think that, Bra- uh, that Braden Holpe knew what was going to happen to the, to his defense in front of him in, in this last <laughs> week though. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I look, he's a good dude from, from what we've heard. Um, very good in the community as well. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's won a Stanley Cup. I know that, you know, so is Jay Beagle and so is, you know, Tanner Pearson, so is Tyler Toffoli. But when you have a goalie that's got a cup ring, I, I, I think it is a little bit different as well. Yeah, and you mentioned the defense. I think lost in a lot of the shuffle the past couple of days was the Canucks were very, very close to acquiring Oliver ekman Larson from yeah. the Phoenix, or sorry, I, I still call him Phoenix. I'm going to call him <laughs> the Phoenix Coyotes. How much was from... Uh, from an Arizona's perspective, how much was it that how much was it that a new GM comes in and we've all heard the stories about late bonus payments from the Arizona Coyotes? How much of it was a new GM, GM sorry comes in and the owner says we need to get rid of this big ticket? And how much of it was Oliver Ekman Larson actually wanting to leave Phoenix and play for another team? I'm of the mind that he didn't want to leave. I think that he liked it in the desert. I think if you're the captain of a team, you know, and you put your heart and soul into that franchise and they and they've signed you to that big ticket. I I, I don't think for a second that Oliver Ekman Larson wanted to leave. I think it was from an ownership standpoint where they went to their general manager and said, you know, can we clean up some money? Can we try and get rid of this contract? And they go to their captain and they say, okay, well, this is what we're being told. What are your what is your what are your preferred destinations? And for Oliver Ekman Larson, it, it was it was simple. It was two teams. And that's those are the only two places he wanted to go. And once that started to happen, I think that things from both camps, whether it was the Canucks or the Bruins, um, offers were starting to be filtered. I think there were deals that were in place, but uh, obviously in the end, it didn't it uh, didn't really work out. Yeah, and we heard reports that Jim Benning, and rightfully so, if you know Boston's out, Vancouver's the only suitor, was playing a bit of hardball. You know, he didn't want to give up like a Hoglander, but Coles in. Obviously, Thatcher Demko. I think we now know why he didn't want to give up Thatcher Demko, right? He didn't want to give up, you know, a high pick. What I I, I saw somewhere online, so I forget who the report is. My apologies. Someone said Vertanen, Sutter, and then you know a high first round pick, like presumably a 2021 first round pick. Was that you think the best offer that Phoenix or Phoenix Arizona got for OEL? Yeah, I'm. I think that's that that's up there. I think that also it was from the Canucks standpoint a chance to get rid of a contract as well you want us to bring in another contract or we're paying up to 53 million dollars over the next several years i think that they're saying okay well you're taking a contract back in um in return so 
obviously they they didn't get it to work um definitely do know jake's name was in that the 2021 first round pick for sure was in that um but like you said there was no way that jim was parting ways with hoglander with demko or with or or with any of his other top guys do you think ultimately not trying to give up uh hoglander put colson thatcher demko one of those guys was the smart move to get OEL because now like there's a bit of pressure for Jim Benning to try and improve the blue line. Like, was that the smart decision to kind of walk away from OEL? You think? Yeah. I mean, you're not going to, you, you don't want to give up your top guys. Jim has talked so highly about um, Hoglander and, and put a goal over, over the last couple of years that, you know, you're not just going to shy away from it to try and get a guy like OEL. No disrespect to OEL. He's 28 years old. He's a great defenseman. He was a Norris candidate um, at one point in his career, but you know, his best years might be a little bit behind him, to be completely honest. And if you're going to pay someone $56 million or $53 million for the next foreseeable future, I think that you're yeah. going to want to be able to have a guy that, you know, is, is a little bit on the younger end and, and, and maybe will we'll give you a, the more serviceable minutes. All right. So, Speaking of the defense a bit more, Chris Tanev is gone to the Calgary Flames as well. The Calgary Flames just love ex-Vancouver Canucks for whatever reason. Signed a four-year deal with a 4.5 million AAV. Again, I'm going to ask you kind of a similar question I asked about Marshall. But like, at what point did negotiations break off between Tanev and the Canucks? At what point did Chris Tanev and the Canucks realize that his time was over here in Vancouver? I don't think... To be completely honest, man, I don't think negotiations really ever started. Wow. I think that it was quiet around the Chris Tanev front for a long time. I think that, you know, Markstrom was obviously their number one priority. Um, I do know that they did want to get to Foley done. And then when all this OE, Oliver Eklund Larson stuff came up, there was a little bit of a different priority set. But Chris Tanev really never had an offer come to him until maybe a few days ago. And then the Canucks circled back after they you know, weren't able to get OEL and it was a two-year deal and Tanev did not want to sign that. He wanted term and Calgary came in and yeah, they might've overpaid. And I know Chris Tanev's you know, a little bit on a decline. He's never played 82 games, but you know, he was healthy this season and health is wealth to be completely honest. So four years and four and a half million dollars, no move protection or limited no move protection, 10 team trade list. That's good for Chris Tanev, man. I'm happy for guys being able to go and get theirs if, if they deserve it. And he was an absolute stud for the Vancouver Canucks, poured his heart and soul into this organization, both on and off the ice. Um, he was loved in the community. He was loved by his teammates. You saw all the posts on social media from, from all the guys calling, you know, him and his fiance, mom and dad, yeah. and, you know, them taking care of the young guys and stuff like that. So that's where Chris Tanev is. But now he has a chance to go and, you know, play in front of Jacob Markstrom again. And he's going to a team that showed that they wanted him. And I think that that's the biggest thing for a lot of guys is, do these teams want us? And what are they going to do to prove that they do? And the Flames are definitely doing a very good job of that. That's for sure. Uh, how much did the OEL negotiations trying to get him from Arizona impact some of the free agent negotiations? Because you mentioned that Chris Tanev didn't really get an offer until the yeah. OEL negotiations kind of broke down. Like, how much did the OEL negotiations stop the Vancouver Canucks from you know trying to re-sign a guy like Chris Tanev or a Troy Stetcher or a Tyler Toffoli or even Markstrom? To be completely honest, I think it had a lot to do with it because I think that once you get, I mean, look, if you get a chance to acquire the services of a franchise defenseman like Oliver Ekman Larson, you're going to do whatever you can to do it. And the fact that he only wanted to come to here or to Vancouver or or Boston, I think made it more enticing for Jim Manning to try and 
get their best offer or give their best offer. So I think that once that happened, talks for the other guys kind of took, went for a little bit of a standstill. Um, and then when they didn't get them, the Canucks had to, the famous two words we're using right now is circle back. So all the teams, are, the Canucks definitely had to circle back to the other guys, but um, clearly it didn't work out. I'm happy for Chris Tanev. I think he's going to do phenomenally well in Calgary. I think the Flames fans and the community are going to love him there. And I think that, you know, for the Vancouver Canucks, it's back to the drawing board. And I think that that's an important, this might be an important lesson to, to be had. And even when you look at a guy like Tyson Berry, you know, there, there, there was an offer there on the table as well, but Barry took less to go and play with, you know, uh, Connor McDavid. So there's a lot that needs to happen here for the Vancouver Canucks. And I think the only way that they might be able to improve their defense is, is via trade right now. Yeah, and another defenseman they lost in free agency was Troy Stetcher. This just happened at, on Saturday as we're recording this. Two-year deal, 1.7 AAV with the Detroit Red Wings. People are set, upset online, and I think rightfully so. Like a two-year deal at less than two per, that's a lot less than Troy Stetcher was probably going to get in arbitration, right? You know, they let him. They, they did the smart thing cap-wise, I think, you know, not qualifying him, letting him go to free agency. They just didn't do the second part which is re-sign him. And if we're being if we're being honest, if we're not looking at Troy Stetcher in a Vancouver Canucks vacuum, I think Troy Stetcher is a third-pairing defenseman on a really good team, like a cup contender. Like, he would be a third-pairing guy on a team like Tampa Bay, Las Vegas. Like yeah. a true Stanley Cup contender, that's what Troy Stetcher would be. He'd be a third-pairing defenseman. But at the same time, like, we look at the Canucks defense right now, and that right side, it's Tyler Myers, and that's really it. Like It's a big yeah. drop-up after you lose a guy like Tanev and now Stetcher. Again, I'm going to ask you a similar question from Mark Sherman Tanev. At what point, like, it sounds like Jim Benning and the Vancouver Canucks didn't really have a negotiation with uh, Troy Stetcher until after all their other options have been exhausted. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that for Troy Stetcher, he went and it's it was about being wanted. And, you know, he, look, there's no one that, probably in my tenure that worked harder than a guy like Troy Stetcher to get himself ready for every single game, to be prepared to play every single night, to, to do the things, to be a professional athlete in this city and in the national hockey league. And it's a testament to the way he was raised. It's a testament to, you know, him as a person and, 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 and as a character, but, you know, for the Vancouver Canucks, I think that when they looked at it, they, I don't think that they really tabled a much of an offer. And it might have been a one-year deal. And then they had to circle back. Like I said, that sets the common theme right now around free agency is, is team circling back. And, and when that happens, Troy Stetcher has a team like the Detroit Red Wings that are going to guarantee you $3.8 million or whatever it is over, over the course of two years. I think, you, I think you take that every day. Yes, the Detroit Red Wings may not be much of a competitive hockey team um, for the next year or two, but they're definitely doing things to try and improve. You know, they've got Corey Crawford there now in net, and then now they've got they've got Mark Stahl as well, um, and a deep, pretty decent forward group. Now, is Stetcher going to be the superstar stud on that blue line? Absolutely not. Probably a third-pairing guy, but he'll be a guy that works hard every single day, and I think Steve Eiserman knows that, and I think that that's one of the reasons why they decided to go that route. Are you surprised that some of the big-ticket free agents haven't signed yet? Like, at the time recording, Alex Petrangelo, rumored to be in Vegas, maybe signs there, but he hasn't officially <laughs> signed. Taylor Hall still has not been signed by a team. Like, are you surprised that the big-ticket guys have not been signed yet? I thought Petrangelo would have been signed. I thought Petrangelo would have been one of the first shoes to drop, to be honest. The Taylor Hall one, I think he's going to take his time. I think he knows where he wants to go, and I think it's the matter of trying to just making it work for him. Um, financially, both for the team and, and and himself. But look, like, no teams are giving out big signing bonuses right now. 
no owner is going to throw off throw off of ten million dollar signing bonus to a guy right now. And I think that a lot of it is is a big sticking point to some of these guys is to try and get their money now or try and have a guaranteed contract for the next four or five years to be able to set yourself up because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if we're ever going to be in a position where we're able to go into the rink and 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 watch a game again. Like you know, and I know they say January first, but that's just one of those weird deadlines where they just self impose put there. But we don't know, right? So for a lot of these guys, that's why you saw a lot of one and two year deals, especially with the Seattle expansion. A um, lot of low money. Krug, Krug got his money because Krug was going to because he was one of the big guys. But I was actually pretty surprised that Petrangelo hadn't signed yet. But if he does or, or in Vegas, I, I can imagine that working out pretty well for him with him and Shea Theodore on that blue line. It could be pretty scary. Oh, absolutely. And another Canucks UFA that hasn't nothing's really happened yet with him is Tyler Toffoli. What have you been hearing about Tyler Toffoli? Where do you think he's going to end up? I assume not the Vancouver Canucks because they seem to be just losing everyone at this point. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I, I look, I don't, I think if Tyler Toffoli was going to be signed by another team, it would have already have happened. I think that that that's probably when a guy goes to free agency and, and, you know, something like that happens for a guy that, you know, has, has the pedigree that Tyler Toffoli does and, and what he was able to do and stuff like that. I think that, you know, if he saw, if another team wanted him, they would have already signed him. So I think that right now the Canucks focus is to improve their blue line for sure. They have to, there, there's absolutely no choice. You can't go into next season with the blue line that they have on paper right now. You absolutely cannot, especially if you're running with Thatcher Demko as your, as your number one guy. Right. And then I think they're going to address their forward situation, whether it's re-signing a guy like Jake Bertanen or trying to get Tyler Toffoli done. What other team can offer Tyler Toffoli a chance to play with Elias Pettersson and JT Miller on a nightly basis? None, right? So I think that Toffoli, if a deal does come to place, he probably should sign it. Um, I know that there was an offer made to the Toffoli camp and they hadn't signed it. So, um, and he wanted to go to free agency, but because that there's nothing has happened there now, Again, circle back, right? Circle back is kind of like a famous phrase right now from uh, Jim Benning yeah. and company. So you mentioned the defense. What, what, what do the, where do the Canucks go from here in terms of improve, improving the blue line? Because obviously you lose Tanev, you lose Stetcher. You got to do something about that right side specifically. You got, like I said it before, you got Myers, and that's really about it. Like, where do you see the Canucks tr- trying to target in terms of, you know, right, especially right side defensemen? Well, I think they're going to have to do it via trade, right? I think it's going to, I think that, you know, if the Golden Knights are able to acquire Alex Petrangelo, you know, that frees up a guy like Alec Martinez or a guy like uh, Nate Schmidt, right? So I know that, you know, Nate Schmidt's it's on a pretty decent contract, but you have to improve your defense. Like, I, I don't know that you can go into a season where, you know, Brogan Rafferty and 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 Rathbone and, and guys like Jalen Chatfield are playing everyday NHL minutes. I just don't think you can. And I don't think the organ, I think the organization knows that that can't happen. So they've said for a very, very long time, wanting to improve the defense was, was the number one priority. They lost their goalie. They got another one. And now it's time that, you know, they're able to do it because you lose Christopher Tanev, Troy Stetcher, Jacob Markstrom, basically all for nothing right now. You know, it doesn't look too good on the organization. Another big topic online was the Tyler Toffoli trade in hindsight. If they don't, was it worth it? Was it worth it? I mean, it's tough to say. He scored a few goals here as a Vancouver Canuck. He played very well in the playoffs and, you know, he was very well loved in the room by a lot of guys, Elias Pettersson especially. So it's it, it's tough to judge a trade on such a small sample size, but I'll tell you this much. In the beginning of the trade, when he got traded here, there was talks around the city that there's no way that he was staying. And by the end of it, I think he wanted to. So I think that there's a lot that that went into that decision for him wanting to stay on the West Coast and and maybe be in Vancouver when in the beginning that that might not have been an issue at all. Okay, my next question, 
were you before we get started with that are were you in the bubble in edmonton or were you like no. adjacent to the bubble yeah so we were in like the kind of media bubble area oh okay like you, you, could, you could still so the rink was kind of divided into two into two entities where it was in the bubble and outside the bubble and we really weren't anywhere near the bubble but um it was still it was still unique to see it was it was very different um a lot of players didn't like it um but the ones that kind of knew at that point when they were there for the conference final cup final that they were there to work so i think that changed things a little bit but you know in in, in the playing round and, and in the qualifying round and, and and all that kind of stuff i think that you know there there's a lot of players that if you ask them they say that they won't do it again and, yeah. uh, and it just wouldn't it wouldn't it, it doesn't surprise me at all right because couldn't bring your families in some of the facilities weren't weren't as good as 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 some people would have thought but the NHL did a tremendous job as to having absolutely no no uh, positive cases COVID nineteen. I know they spent a ton of money on it, um, so that you can take a positive from that for sure. But um, if you were to ask me if players would would, would do a bubble again, I, I would have to say that they would vote no. Yeah, honestly, I should have asked you before we started recording if you were in the <laughs> bubble. That's this type of planning we do on the show. But I think I think the bubble did its job in the sense that yeah. it awarded the Stanley Cup, and there was no positive COVID cases. So that's the main reason why you have the bubble is to award the cup, finish the season without having an outbreak. And it did the job in that sense. But like you said, I get the sense. I remember reading that article from ESPN, uh, Greg Wyshynski, Emily Kaplan, the players weren't too hot on the bubble. And, you know, from what they've said anonymously, like I can see why, like they were promised they could bring their families to go watch. But of course the Canadian government has that rule 14 day quarantine. They weren't able to get exceptions. So none of the American families from outside could come in and, watch you know the stanley cup conference finals or the finals and yeah i think i think you're you're right in the sense that i don't think there's going to be a bubble next season who knows what that's going to look like what do you think next season is going to look like because like you said i don't think the players are down for another bubble well yeah i mean look gary bettman said it in his press conference that the league's 50 percent of its revenue is driven by fans is having fans in seats butts in seats and games and i i think that you know a lot of owners are looking at it right now saying how are we going to go into next season in this similar type of situation where we can't put fans in the stadium? So is there that situation where the Canadian teams only play each other in that round Robin thing? I think it'd be kind of cool, but two weeks in a bubble, a week out, two weeks in, I think that that runs the risk of too many um, chances for, for, for something bad to happen. I think that I don't believe that a lot of players would, would vote for it. So they're going to have to figure this out and figure it out quick. I think after the U.S. election and, and things start to simmer down in November, December, we'll get a better understanding of, of what's going to happen in January, February. But, man, like like you said, like you just asked me right now, I have absolutely no idea what next season's going to look like. Yeah, and I think, honestly, January 1st is a good day to aim for. You know, it has a sentimental feeling like, oh, 2020 was so bad. Yeah. Let's try and get for 2021. But a lot of these problems are not just going to magically end. January 1st, 2021. You're no, gonna have to deal with it. You're gonna have to deal with these for, you know, quite a while. And I think January 1st, honestly, is a bit optimistic, but, and especially if you don't want to have another bubble, right? Yep. No, absolutely not. And I think that I've, for the amount of people that I've talked to in organizations, whether it was scouts or, or, or GMs or, or players um, that, that were in those bubbles or head coaches, I think that they do not want to do it again. <laughs> like, I, you know, I think that it, it, it was a cool experience. It was very unique. They got to play hockey. The Stanley Cup was awarded. Um, it was playoff hockey. It wasn't really a playoff type of feel. 
I think that things would have been a lot different if you're traveling and being able to go into full buildings for a lot of teams. I think that fans kind of have the ability to dictate calls in games. So I think that that was one of the things where you saw referees being able to actually have to referee games a little bit and on their own. And I think that that's why you saw some some weirdo calls here and there. But um, yeah, I think that things are things are going to be a little bit different. And, and who's to, who who knows when we're going to see fans in stadiums again? And that's I think that's one of the scary things because if you're a hockey fan going in and if you're season ticket holder to any organization, you're saying, all right, well, what's going to happen? Am I going to get to see my my team play again? And when's the next time I'll be able to actually go to, you know, Rogers place in Edmonton or Rogers arena here in Vancouver. Yeah. And just two final questions. First, what is your prediction for the Vancouver Canucks lineup next season? Who do you see them signing or how many more signings do you think they're going to make? Oh man, that's tough. I think Tyler Toffoli comes back. I, I just think that when you look at their top six right now without him, you almost need to bring him back because we don't know the future of Josh Levo yet either. Um, I think that they get Adam Gaudet done for sure. I think that there's a chance that Jake Furtanen may get traded um, for a pick and then you use what a little bit of his cap space that you're going to use to try and sign another defenseman. Um, and you got to improve your defense. And I think that one way it gets done is via trade. So I think that you're going to see some guys go and maybe it's guys that you don't want to see have to get let go be gone but i think that jim benning and, and and his staff have to do um a better job of of trying to improve this defense and i think that that's probably one of the biggest things and that's definitely their biggest concern heading into next season okay final question is how we usually end our interviews okay. i have this book here the book of questions okay and what i'm going to do is i'm just going to flip to a random question i'm going to ask you all right these aren't some okay. of these are pretty serious like i've asked i've got some people off guard so just be prepared okay I'll flip one okay all right, here's a good one. Which would be worse, having to leave the country and never return or never being able to travel more than 150 miles from where you live now? Man, that's basically like where what the situation is <laughs> right now, to be completely honest. Well, I'd for sure leave the country and never come back. Okay, where would you go? Oh, right now? Oh, I don't know. Just anywhere that's not, <laughs> to be honest. You're just really getting sick of your apartment. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I think a lot of people are in the uh, oh, same boat. For sure. Yeah. Irfan, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast and uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime when we need some insider knowledge. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, anytime. All right. Thank you to Irfan Gafar and thank you to Kyle Bowen for hopping on the podcast. A bit of a different episode this week, but I think everyone's going to appreciate it. I just want to say one thing before we, before we wrap this up here. The Vancouver Canucks will probably take a step back next year. At the time of recording, we don't know who's going to be playing on that right side of the defense, but it's safe to assume the Canucks are going to take a step back this next year, and mostly because of what Jim Benning has done with the salary cap. That's just the way it's going to be. But for the most part, I like to be an optimistic guy when it comes to this thing. Hopefully this is a scenario where the Canucks take a step back in order to become just so much better in the future once they clear out some of these bad contracts whether that's trade or they run their course. That's all I want to say Then this thing. Once again, this is Power of the Towel for the Nexus Conduct Network. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Make sure to subscribe to the Nexus Conduct Network. Wherever you get podcasts, you get this show, you get Sippin' on a 40, you get Silky and Filthy, and of course, you get the Quickie. Once again, this is Power of the Towel. My name is Nick Bondi, and thank you for listening.